good morning off campus online freedom family we are so glad that you are with us this beautiful pentecost sunday this long weekend sunday you know we're trying to do serious work here matt jameson matt has just made me the sign that i asked for though it's a big sign in front of the camera right here that says tracy look here <laughs> Why, why guess, Matt, when you can just uh, thank you? So thank you for serving us all this morning, Matt, in this way, by getting me on track. Uh, we are so glad to be together this morning, and this is the last Sunday. Well, I guess except for fifth Sunday. Fifth Sunday! I heard a little rumor that some of you thought that we were joking about the drive-in service because Miss Margaret's car was too awesome for you to handle last week. Uh, but indeed, next week, our first ever drive-in service, or like... Not in our time, I don't think I've ever, we've ever really done a true drive-in service. We've done outdoor services, so uh, we are excited about that. We can't wait to see your faces, even if it's through your windshield. Uh, and so, right, that's how we're going to connect next week. Okay, so I want to, uh, this is our last message in this series on peace, your world peace. And so I want to start by saying this, I want to tell you something that you already know. So you can feel smart right off the top, because you are going to, I know, agree with this statement, the world needs peace. Like, your world needs peace. The world needs peace. It's not something that we see in most spheres of our lives. Fear and anxiety are high. People are wound up so tight, you can sometimes feel it that the tension could snap in a moment. And as Christians, we're supposed to be those who know a peace that passes all understanding. And yet, so many of us still struggle every single day to have that calm assurance of the sovereignty and the presence of God in our lives. And so the question we've been trying to answer from many, many different uh, points of view is how do we find peace? And really simply, of course, we find Jesus. If you're on a journey and trying to figure out who Jesus is, you are in the right spot today. Uh, because when, if you are looking for peace in your life, I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that what you really need is to find Jesus. And more theologically correctly, I would say it's actually more like you open your heart to figure out that Jesus has already found you. But okay, but we'll just say it. There was a song when we were teenagers, I found Jesus. Was that Delirious who sang that? Yeah, which was not totally theologically correct, but a great sentiment, right? Like a great sentiment. So that's the idea. So when you're looking for peace, what you need to find is Jesus. He has given us his peace as a gift, John 14, 27 says, but he says it's not the way that the world tries to give us peace. His peace doesn't just help us do better or be better or try harder. It gives us freedom from fear, freedom from trying to just uh, do better with the world's suggestions for how you should become a more peaceful person. So we talked about the fact that Jesus gives us peace in a noisy world through that soul-restoring practice of choosing to get away and be quiet with him. Meditating on his word and resting on the Sabbath. Are you resting in him today? Jesus gives us peace in a driven world by calling us to deny ourselves, to lose the world, but to gain our souls. Jesus gives peace in a divided world by breaking down every wall between us and making the gospel equally available to everyone and calling everyone to the same message. Jesus gives us peace in an angry world by giving us the ability to go beyond our emotional intelligence or our EQ 
and to be actually empowered by him to respond with grace and truth in every situation, even when we are at the limits of ourselves and our reserves have run out. Jesus gives us peace in a filtered world by inviting us into his kingdom. It's a place where it's not about other people's expectations of you. It's not about you becoming the, the, you know, the best possible version of yourself, but about dying to yourself and finding real life in your identity in him and who he's created you to be. Jesus gives us peace in a fearful world by meeting us in perfect love. And today, it's Pentecost Sunday, and this is the last of this series. So Pentecost Sunday, if this is a, a new idea for you, um, it's 50 days, hence Pent. Uh, it's 50 days after Easter. And if you're doing the Bible math with me, it's uh, 50 days because it's been 40 days since Jesus, uh, or since uh, the resurrection of Jesus to his ascension, the Bible says there was 40 days there. And then there was 10 days of the disciples waiting in Jerusalem for the promised Holy Spirit. And so that together is 50 days. And so the day of uh, Pentecost, Pentecost Sunday, landed on a, it, we didn't make up that word. The Jewish people were already celebrating the Feast of Pentecost. That was already something in their religious culture. Uh, they called it the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks because it was seven weeks after the Passover. And so this was already something that was going on on their Jewish religious calendar. And this particular festival, the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost, was uh, intended to celebrate the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. And I, I would submit to you that this is absolutely no coincidence. That what we're going to read about what happened on the day of Pentecost that we're celebrating today um, was no coincidence that, this was, uh, that the Lord planned this for this day, on the, the day of the, the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. This feast that celebrated the law being given at, to Moses at Mount Sinai because that the Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost showed very clearly that this was, in fact, the beginning of the new covenant that happened because of Christ, that came into being because of Christ. So the law that they were celebrating, the law that they, had, they were celebrating at the time being fulfilled uh, uh, was that they were celebrating being given by Moses was now uh, being celebrated that they, it was fulfilled in Christ. Now they were Christ-centered and spirit-centered. They weren't Torah-centered and Torah and law-directed anymore. And this is an amazing, amazing concept. Uh, it's also a whole other message altogether, but I just want you to understand the context that um, this happened in a very specific time at a specific place, and it, had, it was so, so steeped in meaning. So let's open the scriptures this morning, and I want, you, I want to read about what Jesus said to the disciples before this happened on the day of Pentecost. And I want you to let me show you this morning, if you'll allow me, I want to show you the one, uppercase O, the one who empowers the peace that Jesus gives us in so many ways. Why don't you turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, if you are following along in the YouVersion app, you can go to more and then events, and then you can find our event for this morning. You can follow along with all of these scriptures right there. Take your own notes, that kind of thing. We'd love for you to do that. We're going to break this down verse by verse, so don't be nervous if I don't get through it all at once. Uh, that's, that's the intention. I really want you to see what is going on here. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says this. In my former book, Theophilus... I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven 
after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So in your Bible, um, you probably, uh, as in my Bible and in all the Bibles, you're going to notice that the book of Acts is actually after the book of John. So in the New Testament, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. And uh, we're not 100% sure why this is true because literally this is like volume two of the Gospel of Luke. So Luke wrote that uh, Gospel account and then he also wrote Acts. But they're separated by the book of John probably because Matthew, Mark, and Luke as Gospel accounts are called the Synoptic Gospels and they're very similar. And John's Gospel account is very different. So probably that's why it was separated. But uh, really, that doesn't really matter. What you really do need to understand though that this uh, book of Acts is the second volume that is written by Luke. And he wrote his gospel and he followed it up with this account. If you go to Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, listen to what Luke says about why he is writing. Like what is happening here that he wrote this. Luke 1, 1 to 4. Uh, Luke says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So this is, uh, Luke wasn't one of the original 12 disciples. He's coming in onto the scene later and he does, uh, and collects eyewitness accounts and he's putting together this story of what Jesus uh, did and so that's the gospel account and then what happened after he ascended and the Holy Spirit uh, was poured out. He picks up his narrative now in the beginning of the book of Acts where he left off at the end of his gospel account. And so we call this the Acts of the Apostles. That would be the long name for this book. Your Bible maybe just calls it Acts. Though uh, some might want to say that it's more accurately called, should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Um, one commentator said the best way to describe this book in the Bible was to call it the continuing words and deeds of Jesus by his Spirit through the Apostles. A little cumbersome, so we're going to just go ahead and call it Acts and understand that that's really what's going on here. And so right here in verse 1, Luke makes a very important note. I really want you to notice this. His gospel account recorded all of the things that Jesus, this is in, from, from Luke chapter 1. That is not true. This is from Acts chapter 1. I'm just going back. Uh, Luke says he is recording the things that Jesus began to do and teach. Understand that when, when this is happening, you'll probably have a, a thing in your Bible that says, Jesus, take it up to heaven. Jesus um, in the flesh is not in the book of Acts except for in this first chapter. And yet Luke says that his, his idea here was that he wanted to, in this account, uh, before and now, he wanted to talk about the things that Jesus began to do and teach. Understand so something in that language says that although he's going to tell that orderly account of the gospel, what Jesus did, that was only the beginning of what he wanted to say about what Jesus was going to do and teach. So something else had to be happening or getting ready to be set up to happen here in his narrative. Unlike other religious leaders who completed their work and then died, Jesus was only getting started in that gospel account. Acts 1.3 says this, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. 
throughout his ministry, Jesus did have one big disadvantage, and that is that the center of his message was the kingdom of God. You hear him say this over and over again. The center of his message was the kingdom of God. But the, the problem was that Jesus meant one thing when he said kingdom of God, and those who listened to him understood it in a different way. We talked about, talk about this a lot, actually, at Easter and at Christmas. And we're going to see why this is a big deal in just a moment. But understand that when Jesus was teaching about the kingdom of God, people weren't really always understanding what he was saying. And I just, just as a side note, in case you're interested, um, the Greek word uh, suffering that is in this verse, after his suffering, is also translated as the word passion. So if you ever hear, you know that movie, The Passion of the Christ, or we call the week leading up to Easter the Passion Week, that's because the same Greek word that says suffering, it's called suffering, is also the same word for passion. So if you hear that, that's literally what it means. Uh, Acts 1, 4 and 5 says this, On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So why the instruction here to not leave Jerusalem? Why was it important that Jesus said to them, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait? Because we know from John chapter 21 that the disciples, after, um, after all that had happened, the disciples went back to Galilee. They went back to what they knew. When Jesus uh, was crucified, they, they, they didn't know what to do next. They didn't know what to, to do without him. And they ended up going back to the lives that they, are, that they have been living before. And Jesus knew that they would be tempted to do it again. But he also knew that they had another calling that they needed to follow. That he, in fact, did have a great plan for them. And it was about to unfold. So don't go back to the things that you're used to that are comfortable. But get ready because something new is coming. Jesus had told them about the Holy Spirit. In, in, um, in John chapter 14 and 16, Jesus had told them that the Holy Spirit was coming. And they had experienced the power of the Holy Spirit before. If you remember in Matthew 10, they were uh, empowered to go out and do some really incredible ministry um, and, and heal the sick and, and, all, and drive out demons and all kinds of stuff. And so they had experienced some of the power of the Spirit before. They, they knew if they were paying attention to what Jesus was teaching uh, that's recorded in the book of John. They knew something was coming. But here, instead of what they had been hearing before, now they had this specific instruction. They were supposed to go and wait until they didn't just experience the Holy Spirit, but they were baptized with him. And you know this word baptism, fully immersed, uh, not just a piece, but some, like we, when we talk about water baptism, we do full immersion baptism here uh, in a horse trough because it's awesome and we don't have our own tank. Uh, we do that because, and we, we talk about how it symbolizes something um, that is, has died and has been raised again to a new life. And so with that word baptism has that full immersion, something new, something, something different is going on. And that's the word that's used, you're supposed to wait until you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus told them about the coming of the Holy Spirit in, in John chapter 14, the word is translated differently in different translations because it's a very difficult word to translate into English. You'll see it um, as comforter. I believe that's like the, maybe the old NIV and King James. Uh, I, the new NIV calls him the advocate. You'll see it as helper. Uh, but this word comforter, that's the old, the old translation of this word. Comforter comes from John Wycliffe's translation days. Because it came from that Latin word of fortis, which means to be brave, which means bravery. 
And so really, the comforter means something a little different in our modern language. And so that's why we've changed, we've stopped using it to, to describe who the Holy Spirit is. But the word really is intended to mean the comforter is the one who fills people then with courage and strength. That's what a comforter does. Someone who fills you with courage and strength. And so the instruction here is to go and wait for the one who's going to fill you with courage and strength. And we know from scripture the incredible practice of waiting on God. What does Isaiah 40, 31 say? Uh, he who awaits on the Lord, they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength, right? There's so much in this, this beautiful wait until I have uh, what I have for you next. Wait until I have, uh, give you what, what, what's next. If something is coming, go and wait on the Lord. Verse 6 says this, Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Here's what I was talking about. The, <laughs> he's talking about the kingdom of God, and, and they, they still are seeing it from a political point of view. One commentator said it like this, the Jews were always fully aware of being God's chosen people. And they took that to mean that they were destined for special privilege and for worldwide power. The whole course of their history proved that, humanly speaking, that could never be. Israel was a little country, not more than 120 miles long by 40 miles wide. It had its days of independence, but it had become subject in turn to the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans. And so the Jews began to look forward to the day when God would break directly into human history and establish that world sovereignty of which they had dreamed. And they thought of the kingdom in political terms. We see that by the kingdom, Jesus meant a society upon earth where God's will would be as perfectly done as it is in heaven. And because of that, it would need to be a kingdom founded on love and not power. To achieve that, men and women would need the Holy Spirit. Verses 7 and 8. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So basically Jesus, that's how he responds to the, that's how he responds. Are you going to set up your kingdom or is this finally going to happen? He, and this is his response. He says, stop, stop with the wishful thinking or the, uh, you know, uh, apocalyptic speculation. Um, the disciples must accomplish the tasks, task of being witnesses for Jesus. That's all you need to be concerned about. That's all you need to be concerned about. Don't worry about the rest of it. The Father knows the time, the, the dates, and all of those kinds of things. You don't need to worry yourself. What I need you to do is to go and wait for the promised Holy Spirit so that you will be empowered to be my witnesses. That's the thing. And a witness is somebody, you know this, somebody, it's somebody who says, I know that this is true. If you're a witness to something, uh, you, you could say, I know that this is true. In a court of law, hearsay is not accepted as evidence. It's somebody who says, I was there, and I saw it, or I experienced it, and I know, and here's my story. Witness doesn't say, I think this is true. Witness says, I know this is true. I know this is true. And also in the Greek, the word witness and the word martyr are exactly the same word. We just translate it differently depending on the context. So really... A witness here has to be somebody who is willing to be a martyr. Give up their whole life for the truth of what they understand to be um, in, in Christ. To be a witness means to be loyal no matter what the cost. Because they know the truth. 
They know the truth and they're willing to lay their lives down for it. And so it occurs to me that if that's true, then they and we really will need a comforter, one who fills us with courage and strength to be witnesses for Christ. Verses 9, 9 to 11. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up at the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This same Jesus. This has incredible, here's the word, eschatological implications. End of time, uh, end of all things, the final destination of the soul, that's eschatological. This same Jesus who they were talking to, who was teaching them about the kingdom, who they had walked with, who they had seen uh, do miracles, this same Jesus who had died on the cross and, and forgiven their sins and, and rose again on the third day and then appeared to them for 40 days and taught them and then ascended into heaven, this same Jesus is coming back. And there's work to do between then and when, when that happens. We don't know those times and dates, but this same Jesus is coming. This same Jesus is coming. So do what he's asked you to do. Go to Jerusalem and wait. He's coming again. It's not a version of him. It's not a vision of him. It's actually him. So don't just stand there. Don't go back to what you were doing before. Don't go back to your old life. Tell everybody about what you know. Because it will change their lives forever. And he's coming again for his church. And for Luke's readers, this was about 40 years probably after he was writing this account in Acts. It's about 40 years later. And so you can imagine the persecution that had come on the church. And it was a reminder when they read this account for them and also for us now, this ongoing task, the gospel must still be taken to the ends of the earth, no matter what, no matter where, no matter what the cost, this is what we're doing because this same Jesus is coming again. And he is worth being a witness for. But how will you have the power to stand strong? How will you have the courage? How will you be able to obey the commands of Christ? How will you be able to stand unashamed and share the news? How will you be able to do any of these things? You don't have those kinds of skills. You don't have those kinds of courage. That's okay. Because in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, and then I want you to hear what happens in verse 41. So let's jump to Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Those who accepted Peter's message were baptized. He stood up and preached. That's the piece I'm missing here. Uh, those who accepted Peter's message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. There's the one who fills you with strength and courage. The one who empowers you to be a witness. And, and so it's so that the message of Christ is not just for you, but the message of Christ is available to every single person that you know because you are empowered to share it. Roger Strong said, a Pentecostal theologian said it like this, Unless or until Jesus rescinds the Great Commission, so that's Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples. 
or alternately the task is completed, he will continue to baptize his disciples with the Holy Spirit. Until he rescinds his commission, his, his spirit-filled disciples of the 21st century will continue to speak in other tongues. The supernatural sign of being baptized in the Spirit to witness about Jesus to every people, nation, tribe, and tongue. Until Jesus rescinds the commission, his spirit-baptized disciples will not keep silent. And this is why we celebrate Pentecost Sunday. Because we see in this story an invitation that remains wide open to us. If you want to know the comforter, the one who fills you with courage and strength, and so in that be able to overcome all of that fear and anxiety and weakness that we all carry with us, if you want to know the one who will center your life on Christ and make you truly alive every day, the one who can grow peace in your life like fruit on a tree, wait on him. Wait on him and ask him to baptize you with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Nowhere in scripture does it say that this was for this time and this place only. And we believe in the Pentecostal church that this happens still today because he still wants to empower us to go out and be witnesses for Christ. Luke chapter 11, Jesus says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, ouch, well, okay, how much more does the Father in heaven want to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? How much more? I've told you from uh, John 14, 27, all, all, all through this series, that Jesus, the gift of peace, comes through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus reminds us that we have a perfect Father who wants to give us the best gifts and the best of all the gifts in Luke 11 is the Holy Spirit. I don't understand everything about him. I don't know how it all works. It's not for me to know, actually. But I will explain it to you this way just so that you understand. When you decide to follow Jesus... And you give your life to him and you say, Jesus, I'm going to obey you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask for forgiveness of my sins and I'm going to walk with you for the rest of my life. We call that maybe getting saved or being born again. Coming into relationship with Jesus. All of those things. In that moment, you are given the Holy Spirit. He comes and he takes up residence in you. And he begins to help you. And all through scripture we read about all of the amazing blessing that that is. We've been talking about that a lot this series, how he empowers you to even uh, have this peace that we've been talking about. How he walks with you, how he speaks to you, how, how he changes you day by day. And that is available to you. That, that's already true of you if you've already decided to follow Jesus. But we also understand in scripture that there's more. That there's an empowering when we continue to press in and wait on God to be the one who fills us with courage and strength. The one who allows us to uh, to have the, the ability, like we read in Acts chapter 2, when Peter, 
Peter was such a hot mess, and he was the one who stood up, and, and when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit, he stood up, and 3,000 people came to know Christ because of that message. If you, I don't know if you've seen The Chosen yet, which is a, a TV series about the life of Christ. They do such a good job portraying Peter as this, he's just, he's all over the place. It's fantastic. And I love that because I, I, you do read that in the Gospels, like how he was, you know, how he was always so impulsive, it seemed like, and always just said whatever came to his mind and those things. And he's the one, when the, the power of the Holy Spirit came on, he, he stood up and he said, listen, you need to understand this message. Here's who Jesus is, and he's worth following. He's worth giving your whole life to. And the church that we know, we understand the word church now because of what happened on that day. And the great commission, the call to followers of Christ, those who have decided to follow Christ, all of us perhaps who have made that decision, who have already been given this, the Holy Spirit, we understand that that was true of them too, and yet there was this uh, experience of baptism to say, there's even more. There's even more. There's even more. I know some of you have prayed to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and nothing has happened. Some of you have um, really wanted to be able to speak in tongues and to pray in tongues knowing that that's a, such a beautiful gift to have and nothing's happened. I don't understand the formula, I'm not God, that's not with me, but I do hear what Jesus is saying here when it comes to this incredible gift of being baptized in the Spirit, to being empowered on a new level. He didn't say anything about them deserving it. He didn't say, oh, if you do this and you do this, you're going to get a badge and you're going to level up. Guys, it doesn't work. There's no, there's no levels in the Christian life. These people hadn't been, um, they, they didn't have degrees in theology they didn't have to tell 74 people about, I don't know why I picked that number, I just did. 74 people about Christ and have them converted before they were allowed. It was nothing like that. All I read in scripture is that those who were seeking for more and wanted to be filled, waited on God and he did what he intended to do with their lives. Everything else was secondary. They just were told to go and wait. They didn't know what was going to happen. They were told to wait and, and to, to be in, in prayer and to say, God, I don't know what you have, but I heard you say, come into your presence and wait. Come and ask and seek and be ready. And I, I, I'm just, I, I just want to be in that space. And whatever else happens, happens. I think they knew that if they were going to do what was next, now that Jesus wasn't with them to tell them in the flesh every single thing and every path they were going to have to take, they were going to need him. And we also know that those things that we read about in the Gospel of Luke were only the things that Jesus began to do and teach. How can that be, friends? It's because by the power of his spirit, we as his witnesses continue to do the work that Jesus did 2,000 years later. Isn't that incredible? And so I want to invite you, this invitation here is wide open. This has not been rescinded in any way in scripture that we can see. And I can tell you from personal experience that the, the power and baptism of the Holy Spirit is available for every believer today. So I want to invite you, I wanted you to come. I want to invite you to, to be, I know it's kind of awkward in, in your homes or if you're watching the service later or whatever it is, like it's maybe a weird space for you to, I don't know, uh, to, to do this, but it doesn't really matter because the cool thing about the Holy Spirit is that he is not stuck inside the four walls of Freedom in Christ Church. 
by any stretch of the imagination. He is available right there in your living room, in your kitchen, in your basement, wherever you are. And what he wants is to be poured out as a gift in your life. That's the power of peace.